How are we to minister and teach the Bible in a world filled with error, confusion, and compromise, a world of unbelief? We're going to begin seeking an answer to that question today on Encounter God's Truth with Dr. John Whitcomb. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. We're continuing in our new series called Basic Biblical Distinctions, and today we'll hear part one of a message on God's truth circles. It deals with questions like these. With whom should we identify ourselves in Christian ministry? And how do we handle the rejection of the gospel? How can we be involved in both protecting and perpetuating the revelation that God has given to us in His Word? And how does God expect us to handle His Word in a world of professing believers who do not all agree on the Bible's meaning? How can we genuinely help people that we love? This theme of God's truth circles is a paradigm that Dr. Whitcomb has developed and taught over many years to help his students cultivate a greater understanding of both theology and its proper application in practical ministry. Now, we've actually done an entire series of programs on this topic in the past here on Encounter God's Truth, and you can listen to them anytime at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. But the message we're about to begin takes all of this material and boils it down into one lesson. Dr. Whitcomb presented this teaching at Grace Bible Church in Elkhart, Indiana, and we're thankful to them for being able to bring it to you here on Encounter God's Truth. So right now, let's go ahead and begin our sermon on God's Truth Circles. Our topic this hour is somewhat complex. We trust you'll be patient as we think through things that I think are very essential for our spiritual effectiveness in a world of unbelief. God's truth circles, his pattern of circles of identification and rejection, circles of ministry, for what? For the protection and perpetuation of God's special revelation of truth, just like we do everything we can to protect our bodies from poisons that can easily destroy us, things that can affect us night and day. We have to fight that fight, don't we, to survive? Well, we have poisons that come into our minds, not just in public schools or watching television or reading magazines and books and so forth, but even connections with friends, loved ones, family circle. God says, be very careful what you do with my precious, infallible, eternal truth. Be careful. So I say, friends, the basic issue is simply this. How does God expect us to handle his word in a world of professing believers, professing believers, who claim to be believers, may not be, where there are evidences of difference, of opinion, on what the Bible means. We're surrounded by all kinds of false teaching. Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, even within evangelical circles, Amillennialists, theistic evolutionists, charismatics, rationalists, open theists, Arminians. I mean, it goes on and on. There, there are th- probably a thousand false cults in America officially today. We're just immersed in all kinds of compromise and error and misinterpretation of the Bible. What does God expect us to do to handle this correctly in a God-honoring way that really helps people? If we really love people, how can we help them? in a world of error and confusion and compromise and distortion. It's a daily struggle. God says, be careful. Well, point one, two contrasting truths. God is not a respecter of persons in terms of how men are be saved. We're saved exclusively by the grace of God, by his mercy, 
through the atoning blood of Jesus, confirmed by his bodily resurrection from the dead. Yes, that is absolutely settled. He's, everybody is the same before God. Sinners saved by grace. Now, here's the issue we're facing this morning. But God is a respecter of persons in terms of how his precious truth is to be preserved. We may be one in Christ, but not in ministry privileges and opportunities. So let's take a look, dear friends, this morning and see what God has for us here. Perhaps you can't see from back there, but uh, I'll read the basic ideas of this little chart, this little diagram that I hope will be helpful to us. God's precious word, his written word, is sort of like an ark of truth. You know, it reminds me of Noah's ark. You know what God said to Noah? I want that box, that, that ark you have built, to be totally preserved from any single drop of salt water. It's to be pitched inside and out. I don't want any negative, destructive elements in this ark at all. Okay? Well, that's the way he views his ark of truth, the Bible, today. It's full of things that are susceptible to misinterpretation and distortion. God says, I don't want any negative elements to enter into the teaching of my word at all. Okay? Now, here's just an example. In previous years, we've focused uh, a lot on what? The beginning and the end of the Bible. Alpha, Omega. Anybody remember those thoughts? Now watch carefully. Alpha, beginning. Creation in the flood. I think the children agreed this morning in the choir, don't you, that the Bible is true on how the world began? It didn't evolve through billions of years by chance. Evolution, no. Creation, yes. And how do we know that it was created recently? Six literal days. Because the Genesis flood properly understood as a mountain-covering year-long catastrophe, caused the fossilization of trillions of plants and animals, marine creatures. They weren't all buried, fossilized long before Adam and Eve. The flood is the key to unlock the mystery of how the world began. A global catastrophic deluge of water. Okay? But the vast majority, I'm, I'm sure I'm accurate in saying this, I want to be careful. The vast majority of born-again Christians... Don't believe this. They have been inoculated, poisoned, distorted by years of evolutionary teaching on television, DVDs, tapes, textbooks in public schools, colleges, universities, everywhere. And finally, after years of indoctrination and influence from these false teachers, many Yes, the majority of born-again Christians are deeply confused about how the world began. Well, now, now look at how it's going to end. With what? A 70th and last week in which God prepares Israel and the Gentiles and especially the church for a thousand-year kingdom that's going to follow, a millennium, a thousand years. The vast majority of born-again Christians in America, even more in Canada, other parts of the world, I think, Great Britain, Australia, everywhere, are very confused about how the world will end. They have no hope for Israel ever again of being reinstituted, reestablished, functioning as a theocracy in Jerusalem. They have given up on Israel. They, they say the church has replaced Israel forever. Replacement theology. That's a very serious error in the Bible. I mean, Paul made it so clear in Romans 11, all Israel will be saved. That can't be the church. God has a special, distinctive program for his people, Israel. In spite of all they don't deserve, 
don't talk about who deserves anything. We don't deserve anything either, friends. It's the grace of God based on an unconditional covenant. But my point is simply this. Even though the Bible has much to say about how the world will end in a seven-year period, in a thousand-year period, the vast majority of Christians, true Christians, born-again people, don't believe that or believe part of it or are confused about it to some extent or other. Well, they're so also confused about everything in between. Israel and the church and their distinctives and their functions, you see, how they began, what they're like, what they're for, how they, how they worship God. And, they, and, and many Christians don't even believe in the absolute inerrancy of the autographs, the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek Bible. They don't believe that. But God says, I want my ark preserved from any negative distortions or misinterpretations. It is the only message for the human race today. This is it. And God warns us in the last chapter of the last book, Revelation 22, if you add anything to this book or take anything away from this book, I'll add the plagues of this book and I'll take away. And I say, I don't want to try that. I've decided not to. This book is perfect. It's complete. It's sufficient. It's adequate. And God says, watch how you handle my word. Okay. But all these different groups down here. Distortions, confusion on how to handle the Bible. And I say, Lord, just please help me now to understand your strategy, your way of handling the truth. Here's what Jesus said to us. This is very heavy. Here's the great commission to the church. Go, therefore, and teach all nations. Why? What an assignment. There are thousands of people groups, linguistic cultural barriers, six, five or 6,000 different nations. On this earth today. Do what? Teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. Watch the triunity of the Godhead here now. And of the Son. And of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God. The third person. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's really the whole Bible. See? Like Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. Beginning with Moses. That's Genesis. And all the prophets. Teaching them all the things concerning himself. Himself about Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. Okay. And lo, watch it now, because what you just heard is impossible to fulfill. How can I teach all nations in the world everything God ever said in the Bible? God says, watch me now. I am what? I am with you. How often? How, how long? Always. Until when? Till the end of the world, of this age. Now, friends, that's exactly how God operates. He says, you do what I've equipped you to do and commanded you to do, but you can't do it without me. We're working together. That's, by the way, how our Christian life works out. Did you know that? It's a synergism. God and us together. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is what? It is God who works in you to fear and to do his will. You do it with God. God does it through you and me. Thank you, Lord. I think I see that picture. Okay? Now, God says, I want something in your heart that is absolute, total, pure, uncontaminated truth. It's a concern to God. What's in your heart? This is all going to come up, by the way, at the judgment throne of Christ. The minute we are raptured or, uh, or resurrected, he's going to examine what went into our heart and what was cherished there, what was honored, what was protected from God. 
Okay? Now, how does God expect us to handle this? In a world of professing believers where there are differences of opinion on what the Bible is really teaching? Number one, we're saved by the grace of God alone. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We must be absolutely certain of how people are saved. If we're to love somebody, help somebody to, to go to heaven. Lord, how can I help my friends, my loved ones, my family, my neighbors to know Jesus and go to heaven? Not by any good things they've done or claim they've done, but by what? The grace of God alone based on the merits of Jesus, his son, who died for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Now, here's where it gets complicated. Christ says, you're one in me if you believe me. But I have an enormous scale of qualifications for serving me. Now, what does that mean? Oh, my, this is going to get complicated. Look how Jesus set the pattern for your function as a Christian and for me in the body of Christ today in this world. Now, I realize you can't see this very well, but uh, let me try to point out the main ideas. Are you ready? The circles of Jesus' teaching. He said, now, you, you follow my example because what? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So I want to I be like Jesus, don't you? I want to do things the way he did. I want to love people the way he did. I, 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 wanna, I want people to be changed forever because of something I have done to show my love, my concern, and to speak the truth to them. Now, how do you do it? Are you ready? Number one. When Jesus ever encountered a Gentile, he made it clear that the center of God's truth was Israel. That's amazing. I mean, he never brought them an official message. He, he said to the disciples, now, I, I, want, I want you to go to, not to the way of the Gentiles, you disciples, you 70 disciples of mine. Don't go to the Gentiles. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, friends, he did make one exception in Matthew 15. He found a Canaanite woman up there in Phoenicia, which is today Lebanon. You remember that one in, John, in Matthew 15? And she came crying to him, heal my daughter, she has a demon. The disciples were disgusted with this Gentile woman. The Jews were taught not to have anything to do with Gentiles, see. She, they said, get out of here. Don't bother our master. But she clung to Jesus, said, Lord, I mean, he, he, Jesus even tested the disciples. This is hard to believe. He, he said in the hearing of the disciples, the woman, uh, we don't give food to dogs that are for children. I'm here to feed Jews only. And you're a Gentile, a dog. Now he's putting the disciples to a test. Because that's what they thought. Gentiles are what? Dogs. Evil people, filthy people, see, outside the realm of God's love and mercy. But the woman came to him and said what? Now, this is amazing. Lord, even dogs do what? Eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He said, woman, your faith is great. Your daughter's healed. Now, that's a, I mean, that's an exception. 
how he dealt with a Gentile person directly, apart from the Jews. And on another occasion, a, a, a Gentile centurion, a Roman soldier, said, Sir, my servant is sick. You don't have to come. Just speak the word. Because that's the way I do. I just speak the word and my soldiers obey me. And you're the Lord. And you just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said, I have not seen such faith, not in Israel. Jesus had tremendous love for, concern for Gentiles like most of us this morning. But you know what he had? He had an inner circle called Israel. But wait till you hear this one. Look at this. In between the Jews and the Gentiles was a half-breed group called the Samaritans. One day he deliberately went through Samaria, John 4, and sat down at a well, exhausted. And who showed up? A woman from Samaria. An immoral woman, as a matter of fact. He purposely got her attention and pointed out the fact that she had an immoral life. She had had several husbands. She knew, he knew all about her. He had never seen her before. She said, you're a prophet. Someday when Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. He said, I who speak to you am he. He led her to the Savior himself that day. The disciples came back wondering how can he, the Jewish man be talking to a Samaritan woman. He said, look at the harvest field. Watch what's going to happen. And that woman, that Samaritan woman, now a believer in Jesus as the Messiah. And by the way, you know what he told her, didn't you? He, she tried to change the subject. She said, well, we worship up here in a mountain in Samaria. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. He said, now, dear woman, it's neither here nor there. But they that worship the Lord will worship him in spirit and in truth. But the truth, salvation is of the Jews. You're outside the circle, but now you're saved. And Many Samaritans came, heard him, and were believed and were saved because Jesus had a love for Gentiles and Samaritans too. Now, watch the inner circle. You ready? Here in here were faithful Gentiles like that centurion I mentioned. In here is a, is a Jew who is an unbeliever and hates Jesus. Now, you know, what he, you know what he said about Jews that hate Jesus? He said they're God's people. Salvation is of the what? Jews. He didn't say salvation is of good Jews, Orthodox Jews, believing Jews, saved Jews, Jews that love me. He said Israel is the, the people of Israel are God's people, special people. By the way, watch the news today. When people say bad things about Israel, they're in deep trouble with God. You say, well, Dr. Wick, the most Israelis today don't believe in Jesus. That's right. The vast majority, one of the hardest places in the world to start a Bible-believing church is in Jerusalem or in Israel, anywhere, see. But guess what? They're God's special chosen people. And he says, he says through Abraham, Genesis 12, 3, if you hate the Jew, you see, I'll take care of you. I'll judge you. I say, Lord, help me. To realize that that's a special people through whom you're going to do special things to bring the gospel of Jesus Messiah to the whole world during the Great Tribulation. Be careful what you think about Israel. Okay? Now, here we go. But, but the vast majority of Israelis, of Jews, hated Jesus. Now, that's amazing to me. Because Jesus did everything possible to show them who he was. Isaiah 35 says when the Messiah comes, he'll heal all the sick people. 
That's what will happen in the millennium, you know. Everyone who enters the millennium is sick or crippled will be healed. So Jesus said, here's a premillennial visual aid now, illustration of who I am. He healed thousands of people, month after month, month after month, year after year, year, three and a half years, every crowds of people came, healed them all, healed them all. After a while, some New Testament scholars convinced there couldn't have been one blind, crippled, leprous Jew left in Israel when Jesus died. How could they hate him? Everything he said was loving, gracious. Because Satan hates Israel. That's why. And Satan supremely hates the ultimate Israeli, Jesus. That's why. And Jesus said, if you speak against me, you can be forgiven. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, if you, if you say that my miracles are from Satan, you have committed the unpardonable sin forever. Israel, as a nation, hated the Son of God, the Messiah. They hated him because they were absolutely under the control of Satan and demons. Okay. So Jesus said, you know, as he entered the triumphal entry, as the Jews cast their garments before him, they thought he was going to deliver them from the Roman Empire and bring in the kingdom. They didn't really have to repent. They just throw a garment in front of him as he entered the city. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they said. But lurking in the shadows were Pharisees who said, rebuke them. They don't know what they're saying. And Jesus said, have you not read that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of the enemy and the avenger? Yes, they hated Jesus. And he said, you are the enemies of God. See it now? Jewish enemies. But among, among the Jewish enemies were those who cast their garments. They were what? Untaught Jewish believers. What do you mean untaught Jewish believers? They really believed that he was the king, but they had no idea that he was going to have to die for their sin and they'd have to confess him as their savior and be born again. Now, let me give you an example of an untaught uh, Jewish believer. His name was Nicodemus. He came to Jesus one night and said, no man can do the miracles you do, sir, unless what? God is with him. I have studied your miracles and I have finally agreed. They're genuine miracles. They're not sleight of hand tricks. They're genuine. By the way, all the Jews agreed. Those were genuine miracles Jesus performed. All of them. But most of the Pharisees said what? You have done the miracles by the power of Satan. And Nicodemus said, this is ridiculous. Satan doesn't go around healing people. I believe your miracles are genuine and they're from God. And furthermore, sir, I've risked my reputation and come to this back alley tonight in Jerusalem to find you and tell you so. Don't you think Jesus should have said to him, sir, you can't imagine how thrilled we are to have a man like you join our group. Up to now, we only have a few fishermen and a tax collector, but somebody like you, come on, welcome. Thank you. No. He said, unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. You're so far from the kingdom, you can't even see it. You say, wait a minute, didn't he, didn't he believe in Jesus? Yes, but he was untaught on how to be saved. And many Jews said, yes, he's doing these miracles by God. But they had not, in their heart of hearts, confessed their sin and accepted him as their Lord and Savior. To those Jews, he had a relationship to one extent only. 
Okay, here we go. Watch now. Inside of that group of Jewish believers who weren't very well taught were 500 who were well taught to whom he appeared after he rose from the dead. But you know what it says of them? Some of them did not believe that he was really there, alive, physically, resurrected. Even the 500 had a, some of the 500 had a problem. Oh, but wait, there's another circle that he had an even deeper relationship to. Look at this group, the 70. How many remember the 70? We'll put a bookmark right there in our teaching for this week. Prepare to learn more next time regarding how God's Word is true from the beginning to the end and how we can apply it to our own lives and share it effectively with others. That really summarizes the purpose that Whitcomb Ministries has in presenting this weekly half-hour of Bible teaching on the radio and the Internet. And if you enjoy learning from this program, please be sure to thank the station or outlet in which you hear it. We're so thankful for these partners who share our program faithfully each and every weekend. To learn more about us, please visit us at whitcombministries.org or at facebook.com slash whitcombministries. Now for Dr. John Whitcomb, I'm Wayne Shepherd, concluding this edition of Encounter God's Truth with these words from the prayer of Jesus found in John chapter 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth.